0: Allen, back to pass, in the pocket, to the end zone. Yes! Intercepted intercepted by Patrick Peterson! And he slides down! And the Minnesota Vikings are 8-1!
1: The best endings are the ones that had no business being endings in the first place. Because the MVP of the best team in football should not have thrown that pass. Or because the game should not have even made it to overtime. Or because one team apparently needed the greatest catch of all time to keep a drive alive. Or in this case, all of the above. And even more. So today, our Monday morning quarterback, Alex Smith, breaks down how the Vikings beat the Bills in the game of the year. Why the Dolphins and the Eagles are going deeper than anyone anticipated, and what it's like to play football for a man who really needs to sell his team. I'm Pablo Torre. It's Monday, November 14th. This is ESPN Daily. So, Alex Smith, I do not consider you a person with an especially foul mouth. (laughs) But... 4.14 4.14 p.m. Eastern, you text me the following, quote, holy f***, three exclamation points. Did that just happen? Three question marks. And I don't think you were alone necessarily
2: in all of those expletives either. Full disclosure. Well, first off, Pablo, you know, obviously we got, we got to hang a little more face-to-face and not on these, <laughs> uh, you know, Zooms, recordings, Tip." So you can get the full experience of my profanity. <laughs> Fair. And, uh, you know. Um, but the, the crazy part, looking back at that text, Pablo, I thought that was the ball game when I sent that, right? Like, game yes. over. It had already been maybe the game of the year. There there were still, like, th- three possessions after that, uh, back and forth, and, and a lot of football. Just an unbelievable football game. An ending that, like, you couldn't. I mean, if, if you tried to write it, someone would tell you you were making it up. It was It was, you know. Cheesy, unrealistic. Like, I, I just couldn't believe the play after play. They just kept one-upping each other uh, down down to the end. And uh, just unbelievable to see Minnesota go in there and get that win somehow. I, I just, time and time again, it seemed like it was stacked up against them, and they they found a way to make a play. Yeah, I mean, that text from you
1: could have. In retrospect, I had to figure out, like, okay, when did that happen? Because it could have described any number of things that we will unpack here because yes the Vikings beat the Bills 33-30 to in overtime in what was the game of the year and maybe more than that but I I just want to start I think with the place where it got truly f***ing nuts because this is the end of the fourth quarter it's about two minutes left man it's fourth and 18 and Justin Jefferson does this
0: back to pass he's going to heave one to JJ to the right Jefferson leaps to catch it and he caught it at the Bills 40. What a grab. Are you kidding me with that catch, JJ?
1: And Alex, I know you have seen some special catches in your time watching and playing this sport. Where does that one rank for you?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think we've kind of grown accustomed to... The talent at the receiver position across the NFL, especially the last several years, is just so unreal. What these guys can do with the hand-eye coordination and on the sideline with their footwork at the same time, guys that have really trained and mastered that that ability and that tool set. But but what Justin Jefferson did in this situation, I mean, fourth and 18, Pablo, the game was over at this point. Mm -hmm. And Kirk Cousins throws it up to his guy, And overthrows him. For everybody out there, he (laughs) overthrows him. So he's got Justin Jefferson on this deep corner route to the right. And he overthrows him by a couple yards. And the free safety to that side of the field for the Bills elevates up with two hands. It's like it's going to be, I mean, the easiest interception of his life. And Justin Jefferson can't go up with two hands. I mean, just it's like a desperation paw. One arm he throws up and, and gets his mitt on the ball and somehow out of like sheer will and competitiveness wrestles this away from the safety with one arm I as never he's seen like 4 feet before. in the air yeah he's <laughs> yes. like 4 feet in the air falling down on his back and he somehow the ball doesn't touch the ground and he wrestles this away with one arm it was i it's one of the greatest catches i've ever seen flat out given the gravity of the situation fourth and 18 for the game got to have it throw it up and then like I said, the acrobatics of it, the sheer will, like the, he, he came down with this and wrestled it away from him.
1: The degree of difficulty. Yes. All of it, the physics of it doesn't make sense. It does not make sense. Even on the replay on the 50th time rewatching it.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think the only catch that for me that comes to mind out of is, is like the David Tyree catch. And I mean, they don't win the game. Like I, they go on to win right after I said that text and again, the, what ensued in overtime, but I, it hit me after the game like they don't win that game if he doesn't come down with that right the, the game's over at that point and kind of highlighted obviously a spectacular day that he had and all the receivers put on show you know his counterpart on the other side Stefan diggs had a really impressive one-handed catch earlier in the game and and uh justin jefferson uh outdid him today that was it was unbelievable to watch
1: yeah we'll get to justin jefferson's day in full in a second here but as you alluded to right like this is how this game continues. And so the Vikings drive is alive. They've converted. They have a first down. They set up in the red zone now. They need a touchdown to win because their kicker had missed this extra point earlier in the game. And the Bills, the Bills defense to their credit here. I mean, they make a stand. They make a goal line stand. They stop the Vikings, Alex, on fourth and inches. And this now feels obviously, this obviously is how the game ends, right?
2: Bills win. Here we go. Except. Yeah, second time. Yeah. It's the second time. It's game over now. It's really game over. You know, they lucked out with the Jefferson catch, and now the game is really over. And I really wanted to send another text, which said would have said, f***ing QB sneaks, Pablo. Like, <laughs> I hate quarterback sneaks. You do. I and mean, here they are. They've gotten all the way down. They throw a ball, another ball to Justin Jefferson, which gets reviewed, and they're on the six-inch line going in. And and don't get me wrong, there's a place for QB sneaks, but I get it when it's Cam Newton or, or even Josh Allen on the other side of the field. But like Kirk Cousins isn't exactly a power forward. No. And these are things that you just, he do, we don't practice. You don't practice these, Pablo. Like you do them in <laughs> walkthroughs, they're a joke. You're they're a so joke. Mad. And, and, <laughs> and you're playing like right into the strength of the Bills, which is their D line. The whole world knew they were QB sneaking. I hated it. I mean, you got Dalvin Cook, who's one of the best running backs in football. He you, you could have done a thousand other things, and I just hate, I, I, I hated it. I hated it, <laughs> Pablo. You are a politician with a single issue that you are campaigning on. No more QB sneaks. Well, he has a ton of strengths. Kirk Cousins, man, was tough today. He took some shots. Like, he was under duress. I think he had to throw it 50-something times today, mm-hmm. and he was getting hit all day in his ribs. And kept standing in there and making big throws. But QB sneaking is not one of his strengths. I mean, he I'm not sure he weighs 200 pounds. <laughs> and, like, asking him to do this. Anyway, My rant I'll have to end my rant because he, he got stuffed. And I thought the game was over. Yes. So, this is right. Okay. So, this is where the Bills, of course, they get the
1: ball back. All they got to do is kill clock. They're on their own one-half-yard line. Yeah. And then this happens.
0: Josh Allen puts Gabe Davis in motion. And Davis is behind Allen. And he tried to push him. He didn't get out of there. He didn't get out. He did not get out. That's a safety.
2: Give it to us. Give us the safety. Look at what's taking so long. Oh, the no, ball came out! Down. Yes, the
0: are Vikings! The Vikings are gonna win! Are you kidding me? Just yes, drop that ball, Josh Allen! That ball came
1: loose And and this this is where you texted the text. This is where, holy f- did that just happen? Oh, that's happened, right. There we go. Right? Now we're at the point. What did happen here, Alex? Explain this center quarterback exchange in this specific context in what Josh Allen now was trying to do on his own end of things.
2: Yeah, the Bills, the bills in this situation really are limited. They don't have a thousand options. When you're on your one-foot line, literally... You either try to QB sneak it to get a yard or two, or you got to run like a sprint out. But they're trying to kill the clock, right? The game's over, so they're not going to throw the football or or at least take the shot down the field. And they do. They do have a 245-pound quarterback, so QB sneak seems like a, a really great call. Well, again, the whole world knows it. The entire Vikings defense knows it as well. So they're all up in there. Every D lineman is in a four-point stance about six inches off the ground because the low man wins in these. And Josh Allen and Mitch Morse, they they don't connect on this snap, right? And it's, again, I go back to this. You just don't practice these. Quarterbacks wear these bright yellow jerseys in practice. We're untouchable. The only time you maybe practice this is like the Saturday walkthrough when you're in shorts, and it's like a joke. You You just can't simulate everything, right? the entire situation, the
1: chaos, the pressure, all of the bodies just dying to get that inch.
2: And part of being a good QB sneaker, and you can see kind of Josh in the, in the picture is you're, you're trying to pick your lane, so to speak, you just find this, the the half a foot of softness where there's not a body and, and you try and cram in, get skinny and push. And so you can see him in the, in the tape he kind of rushes the snap and, and uh, doesn't, doesn't get a good hand on it at all. It drops straight down, and then it's just a, it's a melee under there of who's going to get this thing. And again, every D lineman's just dove at, at the, the, the legs of the offensive lineman. Eric Kendricks is in there.
1: I can only imagine, Alex. I can only, I mean, truly, I can only imagine what it's like inside of that, inside of that thing, that pile with the game on the line
2: there. Well, it's really sh- when you're the quarterback and they're all three hundred pounders, Pablo, because uh, some big arms you're fighting with down there trying to scrap that thing away, and and the Vikings somehow come away with it. Eric Kendricks comes up with the ball in the end zone, but I liked the call. I thought it was a great call. You got again, you got Josh Allen, who's who's from a physical standpoint one of the biggest qbs in the nfl and and uh, to let him kind of wedge it out of there and get the win i think you'd take that every day of the week and it was just a freak freak thing and cost him cost him but the story continues pablo as as bizarre as it even is retelling uh... this the game wasn't over because josh allen i know he's a monster and he Every, every every time every time it's like well and that's
1: and that's that Except the Vikings, right? Yeah.
2: Like, Except there were 40, oh my God. 40 so they, seconds left and, and Josh Allen, you know. Exactly. 41 seconds
1: precisely, right? The, the Vikings are now up because they fell on the ball or they rather fought everybody in that pile to fall on the ball to go up 30 to 27, 41 seconds left. They scramble down the field. They managed to get all the way down there against what looks like a prevent defense. And Tyler Bass, the Bills kicker, kicks the field goal to tie it. And now we're in overtime. And I just like yada yada over like a bunch of like impressive things. But so much happened that we got to zip through it. The Vikings win the coin toss. They get the ball. They get held to a field goal by the Bills defense. Again, in overtime. And now the stage is set. The stage is set for Josh Allen, right? The guy who is, who has been called the best player in the NFL this season. And he gets Buffalo to the red zone.
0: Only to do this. Snap to Josh looks, looks, waits, fires down, straight down the middle, intercepted in the end zone. Patrick Peterson picks it off and that will end it. The Vikings win it. Josh Allen threw an interception in the end zone that Peterson, the veteran picked off two yards deep in the end zone. So
1: what do you see Alex on this play now that maybe Josh missed in the moment?
2: Yeah, they you know, he's throwing it to one of his favorite targets, Gabe Davis, especially in the red zone. This is one of the biggest, fastest guys in the NFL who had played great today uh, and has played great all year. And, and he's a guy that obviously Josh trusts immensely and deservedly. And they're at the 20-yard line. It's second and 10. They, they got the tying, they're, the tying field goal is, a, is, is very, very makeable at this point. We are at the tail end of overtime, though. You know, the 10-minute overtime. I think there's a, a, a buck 12 left on the clock. But uh, certainly not a time to force it. And they're running a double post concept where Gabe Davis is the outside receiver and uh, the inside receiver is going to run kind of a skinny post and try to eat up the near safety. And that leaves Gabe Davis one-on-one with a corner who obviously, again, he's bigger and faster than, And, you you know, this is usually kind of a him or no one throw. And uh, the problem was, Josh, when you watch it back not only does he double clutch, triple clutches this thing um, and, and doesn't pull the trigger. And I think any yes. time you throw the ball late over the middle, uh, bad things usually happen. And Patrick Peterson at this point mm. had been driving on the post route by Gabe Davis and undercut it. And Josh, so for some reason, decided to, to pull the trigger. As he'd, he'd, he'd been, you know, you could tell he wanted it and he double, triple clutches this thing and then, and then finally lets it rip and, and hits Patrick Peterson square in the chest. To to call it uncharacteristic uh, would be an understatement. Just the way Josh had been playing all day was, had really been unbelievable. I mean, take aside obviously the goofy fumble. I mean, he really been playing electric. The two runs to get down there were were just absurd, and I'm sure he's just gonna have nightmares of that one tonight, uh, replaying it you know over and over again. Because uh, again, a second and ten is just so unnecessary. You know, throwing incompletion. Do anything else other than that, and, and uh, at worst, it's a tie ball game. But that's kind of been the nature a little bit with with this Buffalo team uh, here late in games. Sometimes is when these uncharacteristic things kind of they, you know show up and and uh, leave us asking questions. This one I think is going to be tough for them. You know, a huge win. Hats off to to Minnesota. This was an epic epic game. Uh, but I, I say all that. Josh Allen had three turnovers in the fourth quarter. Uh, one of them was for a touchdown for the other team, and they still very well could have won this game. I mean, they they, they are still one of the best teams in the NFL. Josh Allen is still one of the best players in the NFL, uh, regardless of what what happened on that last throw. But I, I, it doesn't make it hurt any less right. if, if you're them or a Bills fan.
1: Yeah, I mean, those three turnovers, right, that he had today, two interceptions, a fumble, all in the fourth quarter in overtime, as you alluded to. The first two led to Vikings touchdowns. The third ended the game, as we just discussed. And in terms of what Josh has been doing, like, it is jarring, Alex, that he now leads the league in interceptions with 10. He has thrown a bunch of red zone interceptions. And this is a guy who had shed this label, right? The turnover-prone aspect of him, which was following him into the NFL, he seemed to shed that. And now it's, it's reared its head in
2: crucial moments. What is your sense of why this keeps happening? I think there's a few things there. I think this is an aggressive football team. Their mindset from Sean McDermott down is that they are, they're going to have their foot on the gas, right? They are not going to be passive. They go for it a ton. They push the envelope with Josh in this offense, and they build it around him, and they ask him to do a lot, and he's a guy that can do a lot. And I do think, again, he, he puts a ton of trust in his receivers. You see him throw balls into windows, sometimes that are questionable. And a lot of times, Gabe Davis and Stefan Diggs make plays for him, right? And and they end up making these highlight reel plays together and and, and winning games. And when it looks good, it's amazing. And they, they're routing NFL teams. Uh, but when it's just off, obviously, the margin of error is so small. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and then all of a sudden now, they ask him to do so much that that one or two mistakes – You know they fall on him. There's no one else that they. they, Oh, he's been the whole offense.
1: Yeah, he's responsible for pretty much everything. Yes.
2: You know, and for me, the one thing that that just really echoed that today was, you know, watching the first half. I I was blown away by Devin Singletary, right? Like the the runs and catches that he had. Finally, yeah, someone else is scoring touchdowns on the ground. What a great player he was in space, and it's like, man. And then it's funny, like the second half and overtime, and I'm like, I, I couldn't remember the last time he touched the football. And I do think this goes back to that they they do put a lot on Josh, and sometimes losses like this, as tough as they are, uh, I think can can be a growing experience. And and this is a team that obviously has the highest of expectations. Um, so I, I do look for them to rebound. Josh, I I, I think is only going to be more driven, and we'll learn from this and get better.
1: So the other team that we need to now <laughs> praise and marvel at, truly it, for the first time, I feel like I'm doing this in earnest. Alex is the Minnesota Vikings. I mean and and I want to start here on their side of things just with Justin Jefferson to get back to him again because he was as unstoppable it felt like in this game as any receiver has been all year. A- he had 10 catches, 139 yards, a touchdown, and the degree of difficulty here, not just on that catch that we talked about, but across the board. I mean, NFL Next Gen stats pointed this out about this game. He averaged just 1.5 yards of separation on his 16 targets. He was considered open on exactly one of those targets. And so he was blanketed by the Bills defense and it did not matter is the point there. What aspect of Justin Jefferson is most mind blowing to you as a quarterback when you watch him?
2: You know, to me, to me, he's the epitome. Like he's a five tool receiver, right? Like to steal a baseball analogy, like, there there are no weaknesses. Mm. This guy can do it all. And there's a lot of specialty receivers in the NFL. Hey, this guy's a deep threat. This guy's really quick, but not fast, right? Like uh, this guy's a big body possession receiver, right? Uh, There's all these. Justin Jefferson is the total package, right? Like this guy can do it all. I mean, he is a big target, long. I mean, you can see it on the the spectacular catches he made all day, uh, being able to elevate and make these acrobatic catches. And... The same time, they move him around in this offense. This is this is the same offense with Kevin O'Connell. He just come from the Rams. All this stuff, the same stuff they were doing with Cooper Cup. This is what Justin Jefferson's doing. Mm. They put him in the slot. He's running choice routes. They put him outside. He can win one on one outside the numbers. They move him around and do all kinds of different things with him, and he can handle it. And I think when you take that on and you have a creative, obviously. Uh, offense that that's willing to move you around you have a a quarterback that is certainly trusts you and obviously with the stats you just said willing to throw the ball to you even when you're covered because he's going to make it right and i i I just watching him again i just really that's like what comes to mind like this guy can do it all and they 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 do move him around the best example for me obviously with cooper cup last year kind of winning the triple crown of receiving in this same system and really this is uh, justin jefferson's doing the same things Um, and in some aspects can maybe even do a little more, you know, in a one-on-one scenario split outside the numbers. But, uh, again, how do you take him away? You just never know where he's going to be, right? They're moving him around constantly. He's motioning. He's such a threat in, in all facets and situations of the game. And, uh, and then again, I think just to, to the competitiveness he showed today down the line, uh, was just, uh, it was, it was amazing to watch as a fan. I think you only, you just you have to, you know, respect it and obviously tip your hat to it.
1: Yeah. I mean, let's talk about the guy who was scheming up ways to get him open or at least get the ball to him, despite him being not open the guy who was just feeding him repeatedly. Kevin O'Connell, right? This is your guy, Alex, you go back with him. We've discussed this on the show before, but the head coach of the Vikings has his team eight and one. They have won seven straight. Their one loss is to the undefeated Eagles, who we'll get to in a second here, in week two. How do you assess the job that he's done to turn this team, this team that I did not expect to be a contender, to be a contender for real, seemingly, in the NFC?
2: Yeah, it's crazy that they're 8-1, and one, and I think this is the first time we've talked about them all year. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's a bad thing. You know, I've been texting with them all year, kind of saying how they've been flying under the radar, and and that maybe that's not a bad thing, you know? They're a young team, new coaching staff. They're still kind of a lot of in close their... games they've won. All yes. these games
1: they've won in a row have all been super, super nail biting.
2: Yep. But I was with Kevin when he went from quarterback coach to offensive coordinator, which was a big jump. And and I think given that situation, sometimes you know all of a sudden now he's the leader of a room. Right now he's not just in the quarterback room, but he's talking to the entire offense. Right. O linemen receivers, tight ends, running back. I mean, he's got to deal with all the personalities. He's got to get up there and 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 lead this entire unit. And I think the thing that impressed me so much watching that transition is just how unchanged Kevin was, right? Like, it wasn't too big for him at all. He was the same that he was the day before when he was the quarterback coach. Like, he just had this great self-confidence about him. He has this great energy and positivity about him that people respond to. And so for me, I think that was such an encouraging thing, knowing that when he was going to get his shot to be a head coach, like, he's going to be the same, right? Like, this... It's not going to be too big for him. And I think we've seen that. And I think the way they've been winning speaks to that. They're, I mean, their last five games, they've been losing in the fourth quarter and have come back to win uh, with with game-winning drives. Right. And I think to have that kind of calmness, I mean, this is a young young head coach in the NFL. It's his first time doing it. But to have that kind of calmness, you just see him on the sideline. I mean, he's in total control. Um, he's always thinking. He's not distracted by the situation, right? He's locked in. And I think guys respect that. And, and you see those details kind of come out. I think you see that. Um, it's, it's contagious, right? Like, he's not riding the roller coaster. The people under him, therefore, aren't either. And I think that that trickles all the way down to the players. And you see him in these huge situations, again, repeatedly. We, the last five weeks in fourth quarters, making the, the, the plays here and there to win these ball games. And so, we kind of kept saying, is this team for real? You know, that kind of, I think, was the grumblings there. They haven't beaten anybody. Is this team for real? Well, to go into Buffalo and win this ball game is it doesn't get any bigger than that they've now they've also beaten the Dolphins I know it didn't it was a two a list Dolphins but they've got some great wins under their belt um, they got some great momentum at this point they do have you know some tough matchups coming here ahead I mean the next three weeks they have I think Cowboys Pats and Jets so we're going to find out here in the next three weeks how real they are but today was uh, obviously a, a big step and I think certainly the entire caught the attention of the entire country All right, Alex, after the break, we continue to ride this roller coaster to
1: another coach of the year candidate and the quarterback with a whole cult around him that might just be the MVP.
0: Passion, drive, and patience. or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: So Alex, we now need to discuss a team that we've discussed a lot this year, more than I ever thought we would. But now in a jarring context, In a different way. Because this is the Miami Dolphins in first place in the AFC East now. And they played the Browns. Yes, I know it's the Browns. But they won 39-17. to And they did not punt once. Okay? This is the first time they've done that since 2003. And since Tua Tungavailoa, their quarterback, returned from the concussion protocol. The guy has 10 touchdowns. No interceptions. And today very audible MVP chants raining down on him from the stands and so to catch everybody up these dolphins are 7 and 0 when he plays the full game and 0 and 3 when Tua does not so what is making Tua so successful in his return here picking back up and even exceeding the pace that he had set
2: i mean he, he's playing quarterback at a high level pablo there there is no there's no gimmicks here there is no system um you know like he he is I mean, he is dealing back there. I mean, he is um, playing football, playing the quarterback position at an extremely high level. Uh, we, we just look at the numbers. They're off the charts. I mean, I think he's number one or top three in every major category in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And we saw what the three weeks looked like without him, right? Uh, we <laughs> The 0-3. This was not the same football team. Regardless that, yes, they have a great head coach that's that's incredibly creative and Yes, they have Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell and all these weapons, but they went 0-3 when Tua was not playing. Like, let's be very clear about this. And they are 7-0 when he plays. They dismantled the Browns today. I mean, very rarely in the NFL do we see games like that. I mean, and the Browns are a quality football team. This, is, this was not a rebuild team with a rookie quarterback that they did this to. I mean, this is a good football team that won last week and beat the Bengals, and they absolutely dismantled them. You said it. They didn't even punt today. Uh, 500 yards of offense. I mean, it was they—they they were doing what they wanted with this football team. It was—it was almost high schoolish mm. to put an adjective to it. And yeah, he's at the center of it. I mean, I, there's nothing else you can say. I, for all the haters out there that that, that want to talk about this, like it's—it's—it's it's real. He's doing it. And you know, quarterback is such a position. Like you're so dependent on the people around you. Like you—you you just are. That's the facts. And and uh, you got to have decent pieces around you to even have a chance. And For me, it's just funny to even see like the last five, six years of Tua's career. Like he was the guy when he came into college, you know, when he was subbing in for Jalen Hurts, that this was the guy that was going to push it downfield. This was like his greatest, best ability, right? Like in college, like he was the guy that was going to come in and sling it all over the place. Yes, he was playing good, good players and, you know, in a good system. But all of a sudden he gets drafted to Miami. They're rebuilding. They have defensive head coach. He's had three coordinators in three years, I think. And all of a sudden it's like, well, he can't do it. He can't throw it downfield. He's limited, right? Like all these, the, the rumblings, and you know, here we are. He gets he gets put in good situations this year, right? New system that again we talked about. Mike McDaniel is coming in and, and really creative and uh, aggressive and and building this around Tua, and they make the huge trade and go get Tyreek. Obviously, Jalen Waddles uh, coming along in his career, and I, I think what we're you're seeing when you put those pieces around him and and uh, building this around a guy that you invested a, a top pick in uh, and you're seeing him kind of take flight and and he's certainly I think put his name up in the upper echelon of QB certainly this year. One thing that has been really eye-opening watching Tua throughout this whole season
1: has been his ability to get the ball downfield. I mean, he came into this game leading the league in yards per pass attempt and not just like, you know, yards after the catch stuff. He was leading the league in air yards per pass attempt as well. And I want to take your temperature on this because in 2017, for people who don't appreciate your history, when you were on the Chiefs, pro football focus had you rated as the most accurate deep ball thrower in the NFL that year. And so this notion of like, well, this arm, the arm strength is an issue. So how can you possibly be seen as a deep thrower, as a deep ball thrower? What's the key here? What do people not understand about
2: what it actually requires to throw deep effectively? These guys do these workouts for the combine, and some of these guys can chuck it 70 plus 80 yards, right? Like some of these guys have ridiculous arms. That's not realistic. That's just not football. <laughs> There's no offensive line in football <laughs> that lets you drop back and throw it 80 yards. There's no receivers that can run that fast. And that's that's just not – arm strength has is just such a small component of being, I, I think, a good passer of the football, whether it be – short or intermediate or down the field. And there's a lot that goes into it. I think for one is certainly the guys you're throwing to, right? I mean, that is part of this. It, it's hard to be a great deep ball thrower if you got a, guys that, that can't run or aren't big or can't play a football down the field. And I think the one, certainly in the commonality that two and I share in this regard is that, <laughs> that 2017 season was also Tyreek's first season playing receiver yes, uh, full-time. And, you know, when you have a guy like that, he makes it easy, you know. Um, he does. He he. You just you have the green light a lot to take a shot with him, and he puts defenders in such panic. And so oftentimes, it's such a safe environment to throw the ball downfield that that it gives you even more confidence as a quarterback. And so, you certainly are willing to take more risk and give him more opportunities because he's earned that. The other thing with I think throwing the deep ball is is obviously timing and accuracy. It's far more important. When you're throwing these balls and, and where they're where they're coming down and hitting receivers. And for me, I'm reminded of at the tail end of his career in Denver was Peyton Manning. Right. And and, and certainly the last couple of years there, a little bit of a decline in arm strength. And, and I'll never forget that he was like completing these fade routes to Demaris Thomas uh, and Emmanuel Sanders at like a ridiculous clip. But we we actually did a study on him in Kansas City, and I'll never forget, like he was completing them at like 22 yards downfield on average, 22 yards. He's throwing a go ball <laughs> in the middle of the field and hitting him 22 yards downfield. And so, I think so many people get caught up, and it looks great when you know the ball goes out of the screen on TV and you know it's 60, 70 yards downfield. But uh, the reality is that's that's few and far between those opportunities, and, and the vast majority of them come in a range that every NFL quarterback can throw in, oftentimes under 50 yards. And again, it does come back to the timing and accuracy of these balls. When you're letting them go, where they're hitting the receiver. And I certainly certainly, we're seeing Tua get back to that. We saw it in college. This was a great ability of his to push the ball downfield. And certainly this year with Tyreek and this offense, that you're seeing it again.
1: Yeah. Can you take us inside? This is just, I guess, more of a general survey. And you've apparently studied this stuff during your career in the NFL, studied other quarterbacks and how they pull it off. Take us inside, like, the optimal play call here. Like, the art of it. The step-by-step of when a deep pass is most perfectly executed. Like, give us the conditions. Give us just what we don't see from the outside. Because it looks like, yeah, oh, look, there's the ball that goes off the screen, as you said. That looks like a good one. (laughs) But clearly, there's a lot more underneath the hood.
2: Yeah, no no doubt. And so, certainly, I think... If if you don't have if you don't have a talent outside at at the receiver position to that is a deep threat, you you have to scheme something open, mm. right? You have to scheme explosive plays and deep balls, and oftentimes it comes in the form of big play action passes, misdirection, right? Like crossing routes and layered routes, and 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 that's really how you have to do it. And almost every offense in the NFL throws some form of these. Some are better at them than others. You know, you kind of think of some of the. You know the the Shanahan type offense, where certainly Mike McDaniel's came from. They're very good at this, getting slipping tight ends downfield like Kittle and getting them open. However, there's also just the element of the old, the, the most basic play in football, which is just a go ball. And with a guy like Tyreek, like you, you don't have to get crazy exotic and creative or a post route, right? Like two of the, the the most old fashioned routes in in football. And with a guy like him at any at any moment if you catch a safety cheating, um, if you catch a corner squatting, uh you, you just put the ball up because all it takes is is half a second of indecision by the corner or one misstep by a safety, and that mistake with a guy like that is is all you need. But when you mention, like, a cornerback uh, a squatting or a
1: safety, just, like, being a beat off, explain what that means in real terms, because I know when I watch a football game, I'm not picking that up. So, like, what are you seeing? What does it look like in your mind? Like, how big an opening is that really in, in practical terms?
2: Oh, at the NFL level, it's small. Like, when you see it... Because, again, this comes back to the timing. Like, you got to throw it so early, right? Like, the, the, it, there's such a steady progression. Like, in, in, in high school like guys are so open and you can wait for them to be open and you can even be late and still throw them the football and be okay. And then in college it's a little bit, but you, you can still very much see guys open and throw it to them. This is not, this is not the reality in the NFL. Like you're throwing a ball well before he ever becomes open and you're anticipating it and you're looking for cues and, and little tidbits here or there of information to help you pull the trigger um, decisively. And really I'm locked in on the secondary members, right? As you scan the field, I'm I'm looking at the corners. Are they pressed? Are they off? What kind of technique are they playing? Are mm. their eyes on me or their eyes on the receiver? And then I'm finding these safeties, right? Like what's their depth? Where are they at? What are the, you know, and there is a relationship with the linebackers, you know, if the linebackers are bumped over or not, if a safety's gonna drop in the box, there's tells like that that can help you. But again, if I got Tyreek on a go ball, right, and I and I look over and I got a corner within 10, 12 yards, like in safety in the middle of the field, like that's one on one situation. I'm I'm gonna pull the trigger. Or if they're in a too high safety and, and they're shallow and I got Tyreek on a post that's going to go over the top, you know, and we run a little any kind of play action fake that holds that safety, all you're looking for is, for, again, for him just to hesitate. <laughs> hesitate a second. And and the ball's coming up. And if you were to pause the tape when the ball comes up, yeah, like Tyreek's got his head down and is maybe barely even broke to the post. And the ball is going up with air. But... You you pause it when he catches it, and all of a sudden he's got eight yards of separation on the guy, and it looks wide open. But like that's just not the case of when you're throwing these, and and uh, the reality of the NFL because the the timing of a pocket and getting the ball out on time. But yeah, th- that's what it's like with a guy like that, and certainly down there in Miami they have a couple of them. You just you're just looking. Just give me a reason, Pablo. <laughs> give me a reason to take a shot, and. uh and that's fun. You, that's what it's you know, playing football and playing quarterback like that's when it's fun. Let me tell you yeah, what is yeah. not fun is the opposite of that. <laughs> when you're throwing <laughs> to guys that you don't that you don't feel great about in a scheme that you don't feel great about and you're the guy out there with the ball. So, Tua certainly has lived both of those in his short career. Uh, yeah, fun to see where he's at right now. All right, Alex coming up. Some guys who are having a lot
1: of fun are in Philadelphia, where you are right now. And let's get to those Eagles
0: in just a sec. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Anejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo, another great cocktail from the hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part,
1: So, Alex, we are now in the NFC East. We're now in your old neighborhood, and I want to acknowledge the fact that the Cowboys just lost to the Packers in overtime. They are now six and three. They are behind the Giants, who are seven and two. Who are behind the Eagles, who are eight and zero. And those Eagles are playing the Commanders, your old team, who are four and five on Monday Night Football. And you're in Philly right now, man. Uh, the Eagles, like, are they just obviously the best team in the NFC to you? What do you see when you see these Eagles?
2: It's the best division in football, Pablo. Just real quick. (laughs) (laughs) It seems like light ages ago that I, you know, won the division. It was seven and nine record. (laughs) That's right. To answer your question, I kind of felt like the Eagles a little bit were like the Vikings. Like, yeah, they were winning these games, but like, were they for real? Who have they beaten? It was kind of this, we're just waiting for the shoe to drop. And I couldn't be, you know, having watched more and more of them, especially leading up to this week. I wouldn't be shocked if they did run the table. Mm. They are made up that way. I think from top to bottom, like you look at what Howie Roseman has done from a GM's perspective and like how he's put this team together. Like there there aren't many weaknesses. The trade to go get A.J. Brown, um, the signing of James Bradbury, like the draft picks, like they, they've done a great job. Um, you look at what Nick Sirianni's done and building this thing around Jalen Hurts. And I think he certainly deserves to be in the conversation for coach of the year. And then Jalen. Yeah. Didn't see it coming, man. <laughs> and it's it's no gimmick; it's the real deal. He he is incredibly tough to defend. He can do it all. I think what he's done with throwing the football from the pocket this year, just seeing him throw in rhythm and on time again. Come back to that timing um, and anticipating. Um, he's really kind of taking that to the next level. And then there's just what obviously he's an extremely gifted runner of the football. And they build it around him. They have done such an amazing job of building this kind of QB-centric offense and it's a nightmare to defend, right? Let alone their personnel and the playmakers. They've, they've got, uh, you know, you look on both sides of the ball uh, at the line of scrimmage, offensive and defensive lines, some of the best in football. So I, 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 they're the, they're the real deal. Now, will they, who knows? It's the NFL. There's obviously an emotional side to this, getting up every single week, right? The margin of error is small, but this is a team. I, 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 don't think they've trailed in the second half of any game this year so far, right? Like that's how dominant they have been. And it's almost like they're just kind of going about their business. Just routine win after routine win, Pablo. It's like they don't even need the extraordinary. And I think in some ways that's a big compliment when you're talking about playing an NFL schedule week in and week out.
1: And if you're wondering what running the table, as he just said, actually looks like, it means beating the commanders. It means beating the Colts, the Packers, the Titans, the Giants, the Bears, the Cowboys, the Saints. And the Giants again. All of which seems doable. All of which
2: seems like, yes, history might be within their grasp, Alex. And again, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they do it. And for me, it's, it's uh, you know, obviously fun to talk about. Obviously, there's a lot of football left. So it's, you know, extremely speculative. But you start thinking about, is it even a good thing for them, mm. right? Like, this is a team that they haven't even really been in close games. They haven't been in a back-and-forth fourth quarter. They haven't been in a shootout they've kind of, again, been winning pretty routinely and and walking away in these second halves. And so I think there's sometimes there's an element for a team that's kind of been through the fire, so to speak. And there's a toughness when you come out of that. And I think that's the one thing we haven't seen from this team. Well, let's talk about A different sort of fire, the utter garbage fire (laughs) that has
1: been the Washington football team, the franchise, Alex. I mean, this is a team that you were on the inside of as quarterback. Yep. Yep. You have a lot of history with this team. And Dan Snyder, the owner of this team, I mean, we've covered this story on ESPN Daily through an investigative lens repeatedly now. Yep. There are rumors now, finally, that Dan Snyder could be selling the team amid all of the misconduct and allegations that are serious and disgusting. What is what is your sense of what it's like to play on this team as all of this stuff is happening? What's your perspective on the story generally as someone who's actually
2: been inside of the building? Yeah, I mean, I got a lot. There's a lot there, obviously. And uh, I grapple with a lot of it, obviously, as a as former player. And and those are certainly a bunch of my uh, good friends in that locker room. And I think having been there for three years and and lived in D.C. and wore the uniform, and it's a fan base and a history that uh, is second to none when it comes to loyalty and history. And, and I mean that in, in such a, a a positive way. And, and I think to see what's gone on, certainly the last 10, 15 years, though, has has really tarnished that, has tarnished that legacy of the team. And as a player, you know, when you're there, as players, we talk often about eliminating distractions, right? There's a lot of noise around NFL teams, every NFL team, right? The media, the coverage, the week-to-week, the ups and downs. Sure. There's just a lot of distractions out there. And then there's also, as we preach this as players, and certainly coaches preach it too, we're really kind of talking about the locker room. I mean, oftentimes, the distractions can come from from the you know some of the knuckleheads in there. And we can be our own worst enemies sometimes. I've never seen a place where the distractions come from the other side of the building, you know, like mm. for everybody out there, right? Like these are big facilities and half of the building is kind of dedicated to football, right? Like as, as you think it's weight rooms and locker rooms and practice fields and all that kind of stuff. Well, the other half of it's all the, 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 the entire business entity of the organization, right? And you, you rarely interact with each other. You're at the same building though, but yeah, it's supposed to be the boring side. Yeah. And rarely do you even think of them. They, they're so kind of, right, like that's just secondary to the football side. But when you get to Washington, like it's it's just not that. It's the total opposite. Like there's just, it, it seems like a never-ending um, stream of questions you get asked from the media about stuff that's coming out of the other side of the building. This never-ending distraction. And then it's hard too with the fan base because they're a fan base that wants so bad to support you as a player. But they also have such a hard time with the owner and have had such a hard time with the owner and ownership. So there's this like split dilemma, right? They don't they don't want to come support you at FedEx Field, right? It's probably the worst game day experience in the in the country, right? You know, but they it's not that they don't love you as a player and that, not that they don't love their team because uh, they do, but it's just been such a, again, like a so it's hard and as a player, you're thrust into that. Half the time you're not really even from there. You've, you're in the middle of it. You're trying to dissect it. You're just trying to win ball games and play your best. So it's it's hard. And to say all that, it's it's there. You can't eliminate it. It's too loud. It's it is. It's it's distracting. I'm sure more than ever, those guys these last couple of years, it's been even harder. I think. I hope that the 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 news of the the, the you know the forthcoming sell of the team, in some ways, has probably eased some pressure. I hope. At least I do hope that like. Now we can move on mm. and move forward and kind of uh a return to what that team and organization should be. Cause again, it it's one of the originals, ton of history. Obviously, it's it's been tumultuous to say the least uh here, but uh hopefully brighter days ahead. And again, I look forward to seeing a bunch of my teammates uh on the field, um and and rooting them on. But yeah, it's just uh there's it, I, it would be hard for me to give an example of another team that's gone through something like this because it just hasn't. This is this is unprecedented. No, no, the stuff that's going on there, and it's so unfortunate. Um, but again, I hope, hopefully, it's uh, hopefully we're at the, the the tail end of it. So this means that you are not Alex. You're
1: not going to be in an ownership group. You're not going to do that. You're not a part. O- You're not a future part owner of the Washington Commanders. Is that what we're saying here? I have not. I
2: have not. I wish. <laughs> I wish, Pablo. Should, I, should we call Bezos?
1: I, I feel like, all right, you call up, uh, you you get Jay-Z, I'll get Bezos, and we'll make it happen. Let's yeah. go.
2: Yeah. All right, done.
1: Alex Smith, thank you, as always, man, for uh, going deep with us
2: on ESPN Daily. Pablo, thanks, man.
1: I'm Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily.